Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletop from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Portsmouth, England is Stephen Pegg. Stephen is Senior Ethics Officer, Europe, Middle East and Africa for Lockheed Martin, and will be speaking at the March 2023 SCCE European Compliance and Ethics Institute in Amsterdam. First, Stephen, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today and also for speaking at the conference. Uh, you're welcome, Adam. I'm really looking forward to it. And this is a particular topic that you know I'm, I'm particularly interested in right now. Yeah, it's a great topic, ethical leadership. I think it's one of those perennials that we both or we all aspire to but struggle with. Um, so actually, let's start with the struggles. What are some of the common pitfalls that keep people from exercising ethical leadership? Yeah, that's a really good question, and um, and I think you know I've got a number a number here um, that I'll be covering in the, in the conference too. But firstly, you know um, I think you know there's a lot of managers and leaders that would feel overburdened and overwhelmed. Uh, you know they'll get a lot of pressure to achieve results, and therefore you know those leaders might get really focused on the tasks at hand maybe even set unrealistic goals for their teams and, and, and be tempted to cut corners at the expense of culture values and, and ethical decision-making. So that's a key one. And I think, you know, the second one is power, you know, so the power that comes with leadership positions can have a surprising effect on the brain, especially over time, if people are in those positions for long periods of time. And it can actually result in a loss of empathy, you know, it can lead to disrespect, in a sense of entitlement, maybe thinking that the rules don't apply to me because I'm the senior leader, and then legitimization of, of their own selfish behavior. And in, and in situations like that, you know, if the leaders are, are demanding compliance from others but don't actually follow it themselves, that can result in this toxic workplace culture and a reluctance, obviously, by employees to then speak up. So that's the key one. And then, you know, another one I think that we sometimes see, especially at smaller and remote geographic locations, you know, away from the corporate mothership, if you like, you know, is this culture of misconduct that can develop, especially where there's no on-site ethics, HR, or lots of layers of management to, to sort of put the controls in place. So if leaders allow that culture of misconduct to, 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 to grow, you know, studies show there that it's three times more likely that employees will also exhibit misconduct. So and, and I wanted to make the point there that of those smaller and remote sites, you know, outside, out of mind, if there's high program performance and good customer feedback, often those leaders get left alone. Um, but they and they might be very good at managing up to their senior leaders that are remote and make it less likely that that unethical behavior and culture that they've allowed to develop, you know, gets challenged. And then finally, you know, some leaders are just plain uncomfortable talking about ethics you know, to their teams, you know, and, and, and sharing their own vulnerabilities, you know, what they've learned from their mistakes and showing employees that they're human too. So again, that makes it less likely that employees are going to speak up. And, you know, the last point you made, I think, is, is a good one that we tend to think of failures of ethical leadership as actual moral wrongdoing. You know, the person who, you know, decides that the no gift policy doesn't apply to them and things like that. But sometimes it can be just out of, uh, for whatever reason, a discomfort in talking about ethics uh, issues that people don't feel like they want to be preachy or whatever. And 
while it's understandable, it can be a problem. And, and it sort of leads into another question I have is what skills are necessary to be an ethical leader? Yeah, and that's another really good good area that certainly, uh, firstly, I think setting the tone, you know, is a key skill. People, you know, really do follow leaders. So you can have the best code of conduct, the best ethics campaign and program. But, you know, what, what do most people follow day to day? It's their supervisor or their leader. And, and therefore, really, they must be comfortable talking about ethics and sharing personal mistakes and learning. And, and that's storytelling that made others then comfortable to say, well, OK, if, if the leader's able to admit their vulnerabilities, I'm, I'm a bit more happy, you know, talking up. So that's one. And equally, leaders need to be a good role model. So, so they must be accountable for their actions and behave in line with their words. So it's this sort of walking the talk as well as talking the walk. You know, and if, if, if those are inconsistent, you know, you, you can, you're going to end up with people being confused and thinking, well, if they're not actually doing what they say, why should we? Um, leaders also must encourage and respond to honest, positive and negative feedback. So they, you know, they encouraging honest feedback um, helps to create that culture where employees are going to feel comfortable and safe speaking up and challenging, you know, things that they see and hear. So that's, that's definitely another skill that leaders need to have. And then finally, I think knowing when, you know, you've exhausted your own skill set and, and reaching out to others for, for guidance, getting out of your own head, if you like, and checking what others would do in this situation. What does the policy say about this? So maybe consulting with ethics and compliance or HR or other functions, you know, and even things like understanding why people are leaving the business. What do the ethics surveys, sorry, the exit surveys say? So they're all, they're all skills that I think are necessary to be a good ethical leader. Well, and it's all a good case for having a bit of humility. It's rarely a bad thing to have. Now, part of good ethical leadership is, as we've discussed already, encouraging employees to speak up, whether it's about a business issue or an ethical one. How can good leaders do that in a hybrid environment? Yes, and I think we're all still learning about hybrid environments and what that mean and you know, how do we best reach out to every single employee in the workforce, wherever they, they are. But one of the things that you can do um, is to be creative you know, and use the technology. There's a lot of technology around that we've discovered during the lockdown and COVID period that can help us with engagement. You know, so um you know and, and reach those employees so things you know a lot more use of video uh, and narration you know people don't want to read lengthy um documents or you know communications um but they might be prepared to listen to a one or two minute little soundbite you know from from a leader um even using you know the classic sort of zoom teams so on you know as long as cameras are on and, and, you know, at, at the appropriate times and, and people feel like they're part of a team and engage. I think that's um, that's another another way of, of, of reaching and, and then using other tools. You know, we've, we've been exploring a lot with things like my simple show that allow you to create little animated narrated videos. Again, just get that message across. People are people are a little bit, um, you know, they're fed up reading things and, and maybe also fed up a little bit with zoom and teams and being you know on display all the time but they'd be quite happy to watch a very short um narrated video that gets that point across quickly and podcasts you know another good thing like we're doing today 
Um, the other the other thing that you could do here is to schedule regular check-ins, and and that's what I see a lot of our leaders doing. You know, scheduling regular check-ins and team meetings. So some teams are meeting maybe once a week now in person. You know, they're all coming at the office say once a week for that meeting, but the rest of the week maybe they work remotely, or maybe it's two days a week. People can prepare for that, and you could say, you know, look, I would like everybody in on this day. So that you know we can we can do we can do um, you know a leader a leader facilitated ethics training, or for those that literally cannot get in, um, you know that you have the technology now to to dial them in. Um, and then finally, you know I think in 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 your team and one to one meetings, one way of encouraging employees to speak up is to start with the small stuff. And what we mean by that is if you encourage employees in those meetings to share their own ideas and, and maybe to challenge what the leader is saying. Um, you know, that's not that's not speaking up about ethical misconduct, but it, it, it is actually just getting people used to the idea that they can challenge and, 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 and express an opinion. So, you know, praising people who do that as well encourages them to think oh, it's, it's actually a safe environment to speak up. So don't force it, though, on, on those that really aren't comfortable you know, speaking up in that way. But it, overall, it creates this safe environment. and. And, and, you know, the bottom line on this is if, if employees can't speak about the small stuff, they're definitely not going to raise the big stuff, that ethical misconduct. So we've talked about the hybrid environment. Uh, at the same time, one of the things that's changing is that the workplace is much more global and multicultural these days. And many people feel hesitant to speak up because they come from a culture where it's just not done. Uh, how can leaders overcome that hesitancy? Yeah, that's a really good one. And I think, again, it's not easy. You know, we're still learning. I mean, I cover a big international region and we know there are certain countries, certain regions where, as you say, culturally, it's not done, maybe for historical reasons um, or maybe it's just the, you know, the, the culture in that country, you know, hierarchy and so on. But um, one of the things that we've found works reasonably well is to go local. And, you know, employees might be more willing to speak to, say, a local ethics officer or, or representative or leadership you know, who, who, for one, speak the, the language. And I don't necessarily mean it's a foreign language, but, you know, they are considered a local person or, or they might actually speak the foreign language and they understand the culture much more so than, say, a corporate or a regional um, leader or, 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 or ethics officer, for instance. Um, and then ensuring employees are able to speak in their local language and that the ethics material that you produce you know is actually translated and that the meaning isn't lost during that translation so again involving those local offices and local ethics representatives for instance just to check the translations haven't lost anything um, you know is, is is quite powerful and you know an example of one of the things for cultural relevance that we we did certainly during lockdown was we actually, you know, in, in New Zealand, sent out hard copy postcards because a, a large part of our workforce didn't have access to IT. And, you know, we made that culturally relevant, you know, using using Maori images and a little bit of text, um, you know, and, and pre-page postage so that if they wanted to send in a query, they could and they didn't feel isolated. But it's that, it's that making making the material culturally relevant but someone might be a little bit more inclined to look at it um, and, you know, and, and, and then speak up in that way. And then, you know, finally, it's, it's really, you know, for the people that aren't local, understanding as best we can the culture and the nuances. So, you know, what I found most powerful isn't those online tools that talk to you about culture, because 
they're often lagging reality but using the, the skills of the local offices they'll tell you you know what what is actually the case in say saudi arabia these days um you know um so so those are all things that we're still working on uh, but they are helping well and going back to your comment about sending postcards these days few things uh stand out much more than hard mail i mean you People just don't get it as much as they used to. Now, when a, a leader receives a report of wrongdoing, any suggestions of what he or she should do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and having been a, a leader myself, you know, in, in roles before coming into ethics, I think the first thing, and, and you're not always well trained to do this, is to listen, listen, listen. You know, just allow that report you know that if, if they come in person allow them to speak and really just listen to pick up on some of the what are they actually telling me here what are these sort of you know what misconduct maybe is being being reported and don't try and interpret it or interrupt you know whilst they're doing that and definitely thank the employee for coming forward whether it's in person or whether they've sent you an email or a voicemail you know thank them for coming forward because it takes a lot of courage to to put your head above the parapet, you know, people are really always concerned about the possibility of retaliation or getting somebody into trouble. And it's assuring them that it's not about that, you know, and that, you know, obviously, you, hopefully you have a strong uh, anti-retaliation program. But, you know, seeking help if you need it before responding. So you don't have to respond to reports of wrongdoing immediately. You know, take your time and say, you know, thank you for bringing that forward. I'm going to go and research it and I'll get back to you you know, in this time period. So you can then, you know, go and liaise with ethics or HR or other functions to get the information you actually need. You know, what does the policy say? Or what does, you know, um, you know, what does our company think about this particular issue? Do I need to get legal involved? Um, and then finally, I think it's making sure that action is taken and communicated back to that reporter, not necessarily the actual outcome, but to assure the person that they've been heard and that appropriate and proportionate action is going to be taken and, and what any next steps might be if, if there are any to the reporting party you know you might have uh, appeals processes if they're not necessarily happy with the outcome for instance and you can communicate that you might even have a brochure that explains all that that you can give them well Stephen, there was a lot here. Thank you so much for sharing all of it in this podcast. And I really look forward to your session in Amsterdam at the 2023 European Compliance and Ethics Institute. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen today. And I hope some of you will be joining us in Amsterdam as well. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <laughs>